making a movie physically and mentally destroys you. You know, it just, it just does. It becomes such a labor of love that sometimes we neglect to look at it as a business. People lock into this idea that there is a correct way to do things. There's not, there's a million ways to do it. Video has become the most effective way to get people to do something that it is you want them to do. It's time for filmmakers to get real with Jeffrey Michael Bays and Forrest Day Jr. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, get out your popcorn today. And uh, while you're at it, get out your notepad because this is going to be, this is one of those really in-depth kind of wonky interviews that you're going to learn so much in a short period of time. Right, Forrest? I think uh, because we already did the interview, so you and I oh, okay. both know what happened. We're just going to go ahead and so, reveal that we did the interview already. So yeah, well, well, um, <laughs> the interview, and I and I want to say this because I, I, it's like a book, like the it information, is. the information we got from Ben was like a book. So definitely have a notepad if you are film. If you if you need to fund your film, man, this is a fantastic interview. The guy knows his stuff. Yeah, for sure. Ben Yinny, the uh, gorilla rep, he's the author of a couple of books uh, that you can get on Amazon. One of them is called The Gorilla Rep, and the other one, The State of the Film Industry Report, which I found that to be a fascinating book because it has actual statistics about the U.S. film industry and like how many filmmakers there are in the United mm. States. It's 120,000, I think, is what his stats reveal. So That's interesting. I wonder how yeah. they uh, come up with those stats, how they get those numbers. Like, are you a filmmaker? Because some filmmakers are construction workers and blah, blah, blah. And then there's people that are actual, you know, do it for a living. So well, I wonder how it breaks that down. Unfortunately, since we already did the interview, we can't ask him that question. <laughs> <laughs> I, now I feel bad I let the cat out of the bag We recorded this one early <laughs> uh, You'll be hearing Jeff's anger in future episodes now toward me <laughs> Well, I tell you what we are, We'll probably in the next episode We'll debrief and uh, kind of recap this episode yes. Because we'll still be processing it Yep Mentally so let's get to it. Let's waste no time. Uh, let's uh, get to the Ben Yinny interview. He's an executive producer. He's also a really well-known producer's rep in the indie film community. He's in San Francisco, and he is with us on the show. And so let's get to it. Here's our interview with Ben Yinny. Ben, thanks for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me. Now, we wanted to talk to you about film financing, and you say that there's more than one way to finance a film, and you also say that you actually need investors less than you think. What do you mean by that? Thanks for that quick summation. Um, basically, what I mean is that finding investors is both very difficult, uh, very risky for the investors, and it's also not it's not necessarily the best way to protect your intellectual property and the ownership in your own film. In fact, it's one of the best ways. Or it's one of the best ways to not do that, rather. <laughs> Equity is what's known in some circles as very expensive money, especially early on. Um, so there are, I have blogs about this on my site, but just as a quick overview, uh, there are about 10 different ways you can do it. Uh, there's most of these you will be familiar with, probably just not think about them at scale. 
There's crowdfunding grants, uh, tax incentives, product placement and sponsorships, pre-sale money, which yes, does still exist. Um, I've done some of that this year. Back debt, equity, uh, soft costs and deferrals, uh, skin in the game, and unbacked or gap uh, debt. And that is loosely the order you want them in. Uh, just because once you get past a certain point, uh, soft costs and deferrals become very difficult to justify. If you're already spending $3 million, why are you not paying your crew? Pay your crew. Um, if you are, uh, the only time that really changes is that a lot of times, most of the time, in fact, product placement and sponsorship isn't actually hard cash. It's just uh, donated costs, which would fall under the... Uh, soft cost category. Um, so yeah, that's the really quick overview on and the reason you and the reason they're prioritized that way is that you want to uh, focus first on money that's uh, that you don't have to pay back, uh, then money you can, that is paid back by design. Like, uh, tax incentives are generally paid back by design. By the time you're done shooting in that state or country or whatever, uh, the money is essentially paid back however you got it. Of course, you do have to factor for uh, the cost of monetizing that tax incentive. Um, and okay, so let's just also, um, let's yeah. go ahead and start there. Uh, for those of us cool. who don't know about what a tax incentive is and how it works, uh, might be a little bit confusing for uh, somebody that's not that doesn't do this every day. Just give us a, a kind of an overview of how that system works and what's different about each state. You know, what, what are the uh, best states to go to? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, for the record, I while I've talked spoken with a lot of these uh, film commissions, none of them know I'm doing this. So there's this is not sponsored or anything. Mm -hmm. But right now, the best state tax incentives that I can think of are Oklahoma, Nevada, and New Jersey. And New Mexico is also very good, but they're, uh, they can be a little harder to monetize in. The reason uh, both Nevada and New Jersey have uh, cap out at about a 37% tax incentive uh, on qualified expenditures, uh, which means not everything you do is going to be qualified like uh, most of the time when you're bringing in recognizable name talent, that's not qualified. Some states don't cover post-production. And honestly, these things change so much that I don't want to get into this to really detailed specifics of each state. Yeah, yeah. But um, the biggest things to keep in mind are what sort of tax incentive it is. Uh, there are a couple different kinds, uh, one of which is a, trans is a transferable tax credit, which means it's a tax credit you can sell to uh, businesses in the state with a, a lot of tax overhead as a credit so that they pay less taxes. And um, that's how Georgia works. Uh, that's how Nevada works as well. And I believe it's how New Jersey works. Um, I'd have to look at it again. It's been a minute since I was there. <laughs> Um, and the good thing about Nevada and to some extent, New Jersey as well, is they both have, uh, districts and areas, uh, with very high, uh, with, with really high level gambling in them. So that becomes a really good place to end up selling your tax incentive and you can monetize it at a much higher percentage 
than you can in some places like New Jersey if you're an independent filmmaker flying in and flying out. That was why a lot of places were starting to put down uh, roots in New Jersey because then they can just use it themselves. Hmm. Um, so just just give us an example. You say sell a tax incentive to a business. So what's an example mm -hmm. of, of that working? What kind of business? So uh, the one I was just uh, alluding to at least was casinos. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Casinos have huge overheads, so you can just sell it to them, or huge tax overheads, so you can just sell it to them fairly easily. And uh, so even yeah. So sorry, is we're we're keeping this very uh, <laughs> very simple here. So even if the casino has nothing to do with the film, is that what you're saying? That you can actually go out yes. and okay, okay, that's interesting. Hmm. There are actually a lot of uh, financial entities that uh, you can do that with. Uh, there are certain banks and uh, uh, other ways to do it. If, it. if it's not a transferable tax credit, it can also be a rebate, which means that you get the money back after uh, hmm. you've shot, at which point you need to take out a loan against the tax incentive, and there are banks that specialize in that. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting sort of thing. Sounds like you need a lawyer or, or an accountant, <laughs> an accountant on board. Uh, of course, with the bigger films, of course you do. But uh, this is mind-boggling to me for, uh, you know, as a filmmaker to, to go out and do all of this stuff. Where would a filmmaker go if you have no clue about this? The AFCI website is a great place to track down uh, information, uh, and I, I'm going to get the acronym wrong, um, but it's, it's essentially the uh, Association of Film Commissions International. Mm -hmm. um, for uh, That's the AFCI, and they're the... Every major film commission is there, and you can just find their contact information. Just reach out to them through there if you're considering working in that state. The job of the film commission, or at least a huge job of the film commission, is actually to attract filmmakers to that state uh, mm. if, they're rel if they're qualified for that tax incentive, or just in general, even if they're not. So most of the time, as long as you're succinct and quick about your questions and not just calling so they can teach you things, mm -hmm. they'll be happy to answer questions you have. Um, in terms of finding out the basics of it. I don't want to pitch my stuff, but I do have workshops on that that will be going up on Udemy at some point this year. Yeah, so you can tell us about it. You can it. pitch. Pitch, pitch, pitch. <laughs> yeah. Sure, go ahead. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that is a, uh, that those would be the biggest ways to get started. Um, there is also just, it's a little intimidating to start learning about it, but once you know kind of the basics, it becomes a lot easier to research about all of it on your own. Oh, right. I, um, I guess, uh, I guess we need somebody like Ben Yinny to join the production to, uh, <laughs> figure all this out for us. Right. Um, so what's your, what's your website? Uh, if somebody wants to get involved in this workshop, I don't know if I'd post it on my website. Uh, the oh, okay. best place to actually find it is probably my Facebook ah, okay. on that, which is, uh, the gorilla rep.com, uh, slash, uh, yeah, just, or sorry, uh, facebook.com slash the gorilla rep. You can also, I always run them through Eventbrite. So if you look me up as an Eventbrite organizer as uh, gorilla rep media, you can find it all there too. I just don't put it on my website because then I have to remember to change everything over <laughs> um, and all those references and that's more time than I have. Huh. Um, okay, um, so tax incentives. So that's the first thing. So that's before you even try to get investors. That's... That's the easiest thing, is what you're saying. 
Uh, tax incentives are generally where I go for first when I'm trying to uh, mm-hmm. fundraise for a film. Just because at that point you can, can if you uh, have a way to get that tax incentive and you know how you're going to back that tax incentive, you've got your fir- you've essentially got your first money in. It's considered soft money in a lot of ways, in large part because you need all of the money before you can spend any of it. But it is something that starts to cut your investor's risk immediately as you um, have that. Because um, normally at a state that's doing 30 to 40 percent, I think Oklahoma's uh, caps out at 43 percent. But I didn't look it up before this call, uh, so it might be slightly lower than that. But there are some other things that make it a little harder to monetize uh, than uh, New Jersey and Nevada. So that's what that's why I tend to prefer those two states. Um, the other thing on that is that, uh, again, not everything on a tax incentive is going to be considered a qualified expenditure. So even if the maximum rate and you qualify for a lot of that maximum rate, I normally factor, if even if it's something like 37%, I normally factor that only about 20 to 25% of the overall budget is going to come from that tax incentive after you talk about monetization and uh, factor in for only the uh, qualified expenses. Okay. So what's the next thing? Uh, the next thing um, depends a bit on the, actually, the tax incentive as well. But uh, it all depends a little bit on what you're looking to raise, the uh, like how much money the budget of the film is. Because mm-hmm. if you're trying to do a film that's under about a million dollars, I wouldn't really bother with tax incentives because a lot of them just you just won't hit the qualified spend to uh, get any money at all. If you're looking at like a, an ultra low budget film, like two hundred fifty or two hundred or lower, the best place to start is probably uh, crowdfunding. And uh, there are ways to do crowdfunding well, and I know everybody hates to hear that. I do understand. (laughs) Um, It's also a... It's definitely not an easy thing to do, but it's also something that you shouldn't think of just in terms of money for your film. Because if you do, it's... You also have to think of it as proof of concept because if you've been able to raise 20% of your funding through crowdfunding it makes it easier to uh, approach investors and close investors just because you've already got money in one and also you have proof that there is an audience for your film and you've already started talking to them so that is a really big thing about why crowdfunding uh, can be so powerful for films. And uh, I'm not saying it's easy. I, uh, but it is one of the most effective ways to get money. And uh, I've also raised around 30000 uh myself for older projects a while ago on crowdfunding. So I do understand or how difficult that is. Yeah, that is basically it. Uh, and also, if you are looking for a good, if you're looking for help with crowdfunding, um, there are uh, some consultants out there that can really help you uh, with your raise. And some of them have really high success rate. My favorite person for this is either Justin Giddings or Joanne Butcher. Uh, Justin Giddings has done a lot more and has like a 97% success rate. 
uh, Joanne Butcher is really much more coach you through the entire process of making your first film, not just the crowdfunding. So, yeah, those are the best people to go on that more because uh, it's been about eight, uh, wow, it has been about eight years since I did that uh, crowdfunding, so I'm not as versed on what works currently, but I am, uh, but it is still an important part of the mix to at least consider. What if a, what if a crowdfunding campaign completely fails and there's no way to delete that from Google? Does that actually hurt the film <laughs> at some point? It does a lot, yeah. uh, which is why uh, it's not something you just launch overnight. Uh, the process of leading up to a crowdfunding campaign is about six months so that you can actually it's not you when you're figuring out how much to raise on crowdfunding. You shouldn't be asking how much you need. You should be asking how much can you all but guarantee you can raise um, because you don't want to fail at it. Okay, so we've got tax incentives if you're over a million, and you've got crowdfunding. So what else do we have? And this is still before investors, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, this is in terms so I, of... I get the feeling that investors are way them. low on the yeah. list. <laughs> uh, they are uh, number six Okay. Uh, out, uh, out of ten on the list. Um, the grants is another really good way to go, but they're not that easy to get and they're definitely not fast they yeah. take even longer than uh crowdfunding there are a couple groups i think filmdaily.tv is one of them that put out a list of when grant deadlines and all of that are you do have to think of a grant in a very similar way to a business plan and that you need to be convincing the grantor or foundation or whoever's giving the money that their limited funds are best spent on your project. And part of that uh, comes down to showing how it will maximize the impact of the film. It's less about showing a return on investment for a grant. It's more about showing that, one, you can complete it, and two, it will make an impact um, that affects uh, whatever the granting organization is. You don't have to focus just on film grant organizations. If you're making a message piece or a documentary and grants generally, you don't necessarily need to be making a documentary to seek grants, but it's easier to get them for documentaries. Mm -hmm. But if you are trying to raise awareness of a certain cause, especially mm -hmm. a very hot political cause right now, it can be, you can apply uh, to grants that are, that say they have, or organizations that say they have impact and awareness and uh, raising uh, and funds specifically for raising awareness of their issues because that's what a film is is raising awareness hmm. for the organization and the cause so not um, so much for a comedy about zombies so much <laughs> yeah there normally has to be some level of uh it, it's a little it, it's it's harder to do this for commercial films hmm. but um it, it's not impossible but it is harder um and also some rarely uh some state tax incentives take the form of grants so um it's just a they just actually give you money up front and but that's incredibly rare that is not the way it normally works the you just have to think about how are you actually raising awareness of some sort of issue 
But if you are just making a film, if you're making Expendables 7, yeah, you're not really going <laughs> to be able to raise grants for that. Um, you'll have a much better chance at pre-sales, though. And, uh, yeah, the next on the list uh, would actually be product placement and sponsorship, which, again, you should be thinking of more in terms of saving you money than giving you money. So if there's, like, one scene where you'd have to rent two limousines for, you might be able to get those limousines donated instead so you don't have to pay the rental cost. Or if you've got or need to have a whole bunch of candy, maybe you can get that that candy donated so you don't have to spend it on your... So you don't have to spend the money on just buying a bunch of peanut butter cups. And then the next is pre-sales. Um, are you guys familiar with what a pre-sale is? Yeah, but uh, we would love it if you explained it to us. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, <laughs> and that's, I was just that's about, myself a t- that's distribution, right? It is very much tied to distribution, yeah. but it's accrued at the financing stage, which is why it is, it's basically a uh, sales agreement backed by a minimum guarantee from a reputable, uh, very important, reputable sales agent that you can then take to, uh, that if that reputable sales agent is reputable enough, uh, you can actually take that to a bank and get a loan against that document at a pretty low interest rate, especially when you compare it to uh, unbacked, to an unbacked loan on a film, which is just insanity. But we'll get to that. So yeah, that is basically it. And it's, uh, it used to be that you would actually just sell individual territories early, but that's kind of, that, that's a lot less common than it used to be. Unless you're already a sales agent, you probably don't have those level of relationships or contacts to actually be able to functionally make that happen. So that's why you have to go to a sales agent now instead of directly to the buyer. There are some exceptions in this. A lot of uh, original, a lot of original series and original movies uh, for various platforms uh, that I'm not just gonna name drop because I don't want them to get mad at me. Um, the is uh, the way they finance it is uh, they'll give you a pre-sale that's valued for the budget of the film. Sometimes they'll be able to just get a percentage of that done from their bank up front other times there are banks that exist for that and you should be trying to establish those sorts of contacts if you can or if you're looking to be an executive producer you definitely should be looking for those sorts of contacts or if you're hiring an executive producer you should be looking for one with those contacts a lot of times those will be will need a tested director the concept will not be able to be execution dependent um, which means like it will have to be the Expendable 7 instead of Moonlight. Uh, it has to be something that no matter how the film, no matter how well executed the film is, it will still make money. Whereas Moonlight or Get Out, you do it slightly wrong and it does not make anywhere near what it made. And that's basically when you'd be looking for a pre-sale on that. And there's more pre-sales going on than you probably think there are. A lot of people think that market's dead, but more of the stuff going around the uh, film markets right now are actually pre-sale deals, at least when you go by deal size, just because the ones that are getting pre-sold are the ones that are two, three, 
million dollar plus all the way up to like 25 million dollars and that's a huge size for a deal as compared to like the small under two hundred thousand dollar films that are selling individual territories for five to ten thousand dollars a pop um so they just there are comparably fewer deals being made but the deals that are being made are so much larger that it ends up taking a significant percentage of the overall dollar amount for the deal flow from these different places and you also need to have a really strong relationship with whoever's giving you the pre-sale there because you've got to have trust to make them actually think you're going to deliver on it because they're essentially giving you something that they could be on the hook uh for a couple million dollars if it turns out bad and you don't want that <laughs> just since we've already covered a lot of it back debt would be debt backing a tax incentive a pre-sale a product placement agreement because most of these are not actually paid until the money uh comes uh, most of these are not actually paid until uh you deliver the final product or have some other level of uh back debt and everything I've listed so far are things that are in your best interest, financially speaking, to get before equity. And at this point, you should be looking at equity. Hmm. And equity is just another way of saying investors. Uh, investors can, individual investors can also provide a debt security, but equity is more common. And it's generally what people think of. Okay, Ben, stay right there. We're going to take a little break here. And we'll be right back with Ben Yinny, the Gorilla Rep, the author of The Gorilla Rep. And we're going to ask him more about investing. How do you find those investors? And then what do you do when you actually have somebody that's interested in investing in your film? How do you, what do you talk about during the meeting? How do the meetings go? And how many meetings should you be having with these investors before they actually sign on? <laughs> Good questions. That's one thing Alfred Hitchcock was really good at, creating suspense with a camera. For the last couple of years, I've been teaching Hitchcock suspense techniques at festivals like Buffalo, St. Louis, Palm Springs, Los Angeles. Filmmakers are learning easy tricks for building suspense that are so easy to implement. Now there's a way for you to get access in my new book, Suspense with a Camera. It's available in bookstores now. And don't miss our free docuseries on YouTube called Hitch 20. talking with Ben Yinny, executive producer, and he's also a producer's rep. And uh, we've been talking about mm -hmm. different ways to get financing for your film. And we've been kind of building up to this, to the big topic that everybody wants to know about. How do you get investors? Ben, easy <laughs> question, right? <laughs> oh, easy. Yeah. Um, I mean, so all you have to do is just look up, uh, go to Yelp and look up the nearest <laughs> yeah. investor store and just go straight there. No, yeah. um, the... Uh, <laughs> Sadly, that doesn't exist. The I can't give you just an answer of 
how to find it. It's just go down to the nearest uh, place uh, and then figure and then just talk to somebody about your film project. That's just not how it works. Um, but uh, I can give you a uh, flexible framework for where to start on it. The first part is uh, figure out where the money is in your community. I know uh, that's it's revelatory that I just said, yeah. oh, you're looking for money? Go where there's money. Um, yeah. the, uh, but no, uh, you have to kind of think about who in your community has money. What are the major industries that have money in your area? If you can find blue-collar millionaires um, as opposed to... Uh, like uh, more white-collar finance-oriented millionaires or anyone else, uh, that tends to be an easier close uh, hmm. just because they are... Um, they have less access to high-yield investments than a uh, white-collar banker would. Hmm. Um, and, they and that's a big part of why you would want to go to them. And also, they tend to be a little easier to talk to and have less people who have directly told them how risky and how scary film investment is because let no one fool you it is incredibly <laughs> risky and incredibly scary for an investor so these um, are people that know nothing about film investing and so how do you explain it to them how do you explain the process and uh, what they're getting and all of that yeah. Um, so we are talking about so we are talking about a blue collar collar uh, mm -hmm. millionaire, not like just a standard like somebody who owns a couple of body shops or a couple right. of car dealerships. That's more what I'm talking about right. there. So they have some level of business knowledge. Um, so the biggest things you're going to want to uh, talk to them about are what the film is about. Uh, if you can find somebody who would have an emotional reason to be attached to the subject matter of your film. That's going to be the first people you should talk to because the first people are always the hardest. And ideally, you'll already have some level of other funding in from a crowdfunding campaign, a tax incentive, um, or uh, potentially a presale. But if this is your first film, you shouldn't be thinking about getting presales. Um, the uh, it's just probably not going to happen. So there are different ways. So you go approach them. You try to add soft incentives while you're talking to them as well. Like I said, the emotional reason uh, for them to be there, you can... I don't like that... This is not the first place I would go ever, but you might eventually have to go to this. You might have to offer them some sort of walk-on role on the film itself for their investment. I know nobody likes doing that, but it is sometimes a necessary evil. And you also have to kind of emphasize uh, the power of doing something special because a lot of these moneyed individuals tend to run in the same groups. So they're always looking for interesting things they can tell their friends about. And being in a movie on this is a really interesting thing to do there. In terms of uh, that is all stuff you have to do as an ancillary uh, part of your pitch. The first thing you should be focusing on is where is all of this money coming from? So that's why we were going over the uh, incentive before. You also have to go into how are you going to get this film distributed? Uh, who is going to buy this film? Um, how are you going to convince them to buy this film? 
what have other similar films done? That's all just like your standard documentation, uh, which you can find a lot of blogs about on my site. And there's also a new one coming out. I don't know when this drops, but uh, in uh, July of 2019, that will be on what the very beginning things you need to include in an early investor pitch. Um, I just wrote it on the plane yesterday. So that is all stuff that you just need to kind of know and be able to pull out of your back pocket whenever. And then a lot of it does come down to charisma and salesmanship. And Mm. it's a lot easier if you already have a relationship with that. Um, If you're a kid who's just out of film school and uh, you're trying to talk to uh, your parents' real estate broker friend or something like that, you're going to be in for a rough ride um, because they are not likely to trust that you have any idea what you're talking about. (laughs) And uh, I'm not saying I've been there or anything, but uh, (laughs) yeah. so um, yeah. The other thing you should keep in mind is doctors pretty much always have a lot of money, um, but they're very difficult to close because they tend to put a lot of things into boxes, at least uh, the ones I've dealt with, like uh, you're a film person, so you're you're creative, therefore you know nothing about business, Mm -hmm. and it's very hard to get out of that box. Mm. And lawyers... Mm-hmm. Also tend to have a lot of money, but you should be very, very careful when dealing with a lawyer for very clear and litigious reasons. Um, another thing you have to keep in mind here is that investing is relationship-based. Um, so most investors invest more in people than in products. So if you want to have a sustainable investment community, part of what you need to do is get friends in that investment community. The way I started to get into the, I was trying to get into the San Francisco investment scene for a long time, and the way I actually found my break-in was what I would do on the weekends for fun, which was singing karaoke. And I actually met more investors there that started a community and started introducing, and started introducing me to other people than you would expect. So you do have to keep in mind that when you're working with, when you're looking for investors, a lot of times... There are investors around you. It's probably not like San Francisco, uh, where I live, where you could just throw a stone in FIDI and hit three investors and then get sued for everything you have. <laughs> um, but it, but there are accredited investors around you, more than likely, if you live in a city. If you live in a small town or a depressed economic area, yeah, that's probably not true. You're probably just going to have to bootstrap for your first film. That's just the reality of it. And I hate to say it, but it's probably true. I'd love it if you prove me wrong. If you prove me wrong, if you prove me wrong, show me how. Great. Right. Wonderful. So, so when you're talking to yeah. the investors, um, now say you get an investor, oh, I'll give you a walk-on and blah, blah. But what if they mm-hmm. ask, like, what's in it for me other than the walk-in? Mm-hmm. And obviously they want to make money, but how can you not promise that you're going to make money but still get the investor? What's a what's a classy way to do that? Well, investing, is, uh, investing uh, in film or any startup venture is an incredibly high-risk enterprise. You, uh, no matter uh, if you're investing in a film or in a startup or anything like that, there's a chance that you're going to lose everything you put in Mm -hmm. and you should actually tell them that if you don't, you can get sued for a lot of stuff, but 
you should definitely make sure that the risks are clear. However, the benefits of it are that uh, if they were just going to put it in a uh, mutual fund or mm-hmm. something like that, that is a fairly low ROI. If a film goes exceptionally well, you can outperform mutual funds. It's possible if you have a good plan going in over the same amount of time, especially if you're in an uncertain economy, which we are right now. I personally really think we're heading for a crash and it's going to be a bad one. And I, I think like this could happen. And historically, at least uh, films have performed. The film industry has performed better uh, in economic downturns. I'm not sure that's going to be the case now. Uh, just because there are so many more adequate alternatives for entertainment than there used to be. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them do provide, at least arguably, more value than a film does. Like, uh, if you, it's 20 bucks to go to a standard movie that's not a matinee in San Francisco per person. Or you can buy a PS4 or a Nintendo Switch game for 60 which if you got, if you got popcorn, you're already over that price point. And we're talking about like three hours versus hundreds in mm-hmm. some cases. Right. Yeah. So that's, you do have to keep in mind that uh, you are creating a product for entertainment and you have to look at your competition in that space. And it isn't just other movies. So what's good to, to tell the investor what they can make, like a percentage or how does that work? Okay. Uh, so yeah, that's, I didn't realize that's what you were asking. Um, the, uh, so there are two ways you can predict your revenue and they both have their drawbacks uh, and depending on why you're using them, some one can be better than the other in certain cir- circumstances. However, in general, they're about a wash. There's what's called a competitive uh, comparative or competitive analysis, which is just a uh, you take 20 films and you that are similar to yours and ideally made within the last five years, that's really difficult. Um, if you're controlling for the budget level as much as you should, you just do the best you can. And you are, want to be looking for similar assets, similar funds, or yeah, similar assets, similar budgets. Uh, and when I say assets, I mean who started it, similar themes, definitely similar genre. And then you just look at all of them and uh, do some math to estimate the ROI. And then you send those out uh, as a pro forma. And then you use those to create your pro forma financial statements, which will include your uh, capitalization table, uh, internal company waterfall, waterfalls to the company, which is uh, who, which stakeholder gets paid what and how does the uh, filmmaker end up getting paid. I'm not going to go into details on this because this could easily be its own podcast. Mm-hmm. All of that different stuff. There are a lot of blogs on pro forma financial statements and creating them on my site. But the biggest thing I will also say is this is a service I offer to clients. It is not free. And uh, I work with uh, Bruce Nash at Nash Info Services to do the comp analysis because from an industry perspective, the comp analysis is only as good as who's doing it. Um, and also Bruce can do it for cheaper than me because he runs uh, the, the-numbers.com and he just does a search query. He is uh, $650, $650 for a uh, 20 film comp analysis. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, and if you did hear that, tell them 
uh, tell him you heard it from me. Um, the, uh, but yeah, um, the, so that's a thing. And if you already have that comp analysis, the only people I will actually work with, I, the only two people I will work with for Bruce, um, for that sort of comp analysis is Bruce or do it myself because I've seen a lot of other ones and most of their methodology is just really bad. Um, so I've seen Bruce, I've seen the inner workings of Bruce stuff, Bruce's stuff and it, it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a so house. Yeah. It's the same way they do houses, the value of this house. And then they'll go around within a, a five mm-hmm. or 10 mile radius, except you now you're doing it with a film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I get that. Cool. Yeah. And then the other way again is to work with a sales agent who will give you, uh, the, uh, estimates based on the buyers they have for it. Um, and who, what they would generally pay for a completed film like this with these assets. Obviously, if you don't have talent attached yet, um, if they'll do it based on your wish list. And if you don't get someone from your wish list, those can change completely. And also, you're estimating what's going to be popular two to three years out in either case. That's, mm. I mean, fidget spinner, in the last two to three years, fidget spinners didn't exist. They were really big. And now nobody cares. It's just... Uh, yeah, you're right, right. Um, so, yeah. It's a... That's uh, it, kind of the cultural estimate you're making, which is really difficult. So you just have to kind of go with what has worked well historically as much as you can. And just, again, make educated besses, guesses to do the best you can. And also understand the business of the film industry, which is another way of saying... Uh, understand why it is probably a bad idea to make a drama um, as your first film. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of that just comes down to uh, dramas tend to be so emotional and so much of the world, so much of uh, so much of selling a film now is international sales. There is no international for dramas. Hmm. It's because Hmm. countries tend to only make dramas for themselves, for their own culture. Makes because sense. everything that makes a drama work is so culturally dependent. Mm-hmm. Unless you have just like a giant box opening, you get into Sundance and it blows up, or you just have a huge cast from this outset, which you probably can't afford to do. Okay, so let's say you have an investor that's interested. So how many times would you expect to meet with this person before they'll actually say yes? It's funny. Um, investing is actually a lot like dating, and uh, how long it takes uh, getting in, how long it takes someone to get into bed, is also surprisingly similar to dating. So what I'm saying is three to seven meetings. If it takes longer than seven, okay. it's probably not happening. <laughs> and I think the, that's a uh, surprise. So yeah. I think that would be a surprise to a lot of people, uh, because I think the <laughs> expectation is that you'd have one meeting and then that would be it, right? And that's not. Oh the yeah, case. no, not at all. You should never. Uh, actually, I, 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 I wrote a blog uh, on the similar similarities of uh, courting an investor and dating, and I love it, and I think it's really funny, and I've gotten a lot of negative feedback about it, but I'm leaving it up because I don't care. Um, the, uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but basically, the goal, the goal of the first meeting is purely to see how compatible you are with the other person. Because if you are uh, going to uh, get into bed with an investor, this is a relationship that will go on for several years and you need to both like each other. Otherwise it can be pretty bad. 
you will have the initial meeting, and the goal of the initial meeting is purely to get a, another meeting. The goal of the first meeting is to get a second meeting. The goal of the second meeting is to really understand the prospects of uh, what your relationship with this investor could look like. And uh, generally, uh, by the third to fifth, that's when you're starting to really consider signing on the line that is dotted. Um, and a lot of times uh, you can get the yes anywhere between meetings three, four, and five. Um, and then, like, even if you get the yes on meeting three, you'll probably need uh, meeting four uh, to break down more terms and then meeting five to revise terms and sign the deal is a general thing, but it's, it, it's in flux. It's rare. Somebody just will cut a check for tens of thousands, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in a first meeting. I mean, that's, that's not how purchase decisions work. Mm. Um, <laughs> so how long are these meetings? It depends. Okay. Um, there isn't a set line. Um, I had I once had an investor pitch to some Chinese investors for uh, production next that we were promised uh, twenty minutes to pitch and five minutes for que- and ten minutes for questions. This was basically like a speed dating round, and uh, we showed up and they said, uh, "Yeah, oh." And they also it was Chinese investors. They said there was a translator that was going to be there, so we fact or they said that they wouldn't need translation rather. And then they said, oh, yeah, you're going to have... So we showed up and said, oh, yeah, actually, it's going to be 10 and 5, and uh, you have to factor for a translator. So our 20-minute pitch got turned into a 5-minute pitch because of the circumstances of the room. Did not work out as well as we'd hoped. (laughs) Um, Nope. But how could you expect it to in that time? But really, if you're talking about a one-on-one, I'd say anywhere between half an hour and an hour for an initial meeting. Mm. Um, If it's going to and yeah that's probably going to be about right for most investors if they're taking you seriously and not just like an insanely busy venture capitalist which that's a that's a different thing to consider and it's a different calculus you have to do so is it better to get uh, just one investor to invest in the whole movie or is it better to have more than one small investments it depends on uh, it's a lot of times it's easier to have one. Um, and if you're dealing with, look, you do have to keep in mind, it's not just you seeking their money. You don't have to take their money. Mm-hmm. We've turned, I, I slash we at Production Next have turned down investors who were ready to write a check because they were looking for just weird levels of control. Mm. on it we didn't have any issue with them coming on as an advisor that's part of the reason you look for an expert investor is to get their expertise as well that's not the way it normally works there is sure they're the ones buying but you are the one selling and you have the right to refuse to sell but on another thing um we if if an investment syndicate is looking to give you a couple million dollars um as a one you just need to make sure that it's cl- that what the communication ex- expectations are are clearly spelled out in the beginning. And again, this is why you want to take those three to five times yeah. to get to know each other to see how they work and all of this. Because if you get into bed with somebody too soon, it can be 
it can be a nightmare. Um, I'm not speaking from experience. <laughs> don't don't don't. God, I hope my in-laws don't hear this. Um, the. Uh... So, what are some some warning signs that we should look out for for a bad um, investor? Human skulls on there the wall. There are a lot of warning signs. <laughs> there are a lot of warning signs I could say that might not actually be warning signs. Hmm. But uh, the biggest thing you have to do is vet them, and uh, you should actually call people they've in, they've uh, that they've invested in before. Um, you should check their references. Um, I, they're gonna check yours, um, and if they're smart, they'll be impressed. You check theirs. That's it's not. If they get offended that you check people they'd invested with before. You probably didn't want to work with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, they should also be looking into you and things you've done in the past. So it, it goes both ways. The In terms of just individual things, if they're trying to stage out the investment for too long, that's a weird thing. If they're trying to get like a lot of control over the script and they're not a film investor or an executive producer or... Uh, somebody who's actually had films that have been made and gotten out there before, you should be aware of that. If they're trying to control distribution and they haven't done that before, that should be a thing you've uh, got to, that you should be aware of. And another thing in general, uh, you should be able to figure out how they have money. It shouldn't be that hard for you to figure that out. Just with a bit of Google sleuthing to figure out how how they have money. Because there are a lot of people who claim to be investors who aren't. And then there are sometimes sites on Google that think you have way more money than you do. Great information, Ben. Uh, we really appreciate everything. Before we let you go, can you just uh, promote yourself? Uh, you, we haven't really given the website or anything. Uh, give us a, a quick promotion of your websites and everything. Okay. And, and some um, of your so services, yeah. too. couple things. Uh, the first, um, since everything we've been talking about is primarily built around uh, investing and a bit of distribution, um, the, be- the easiest way to find me is on uh, thegorillarep.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's two R's, uh, two L's, or just Google the name Ben Yenny uh, is actually the easiest way to make sure you don't misspell it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually working on a launch that on a different thing that uh, will help correct that spelling issue. Um, And if you have a project that's at an early stage and you need pro formers or anything like that, those are services I offer. Um, There are fees involved uh, for that. If I'm acting as a producer's rep, uh, there isn't a fee just for brokering, just for the record. Um, It's only like if you're actually having me do rather complex financial analysis or um, help you make investment documents or any of those. I have to charge something up front for that. And uh, the if you have a project that's either like that, uh, that's either early stage or completed, uh, the gorillarep.com slash submit is the place you should go. Um, and then the other thing, uh, since I've mentioned it a couple times, uh, if you're a filmmaker getting ready to make your first film um, or any film, you should check out Production Next. It is a project management system specifically designed for independent film. Uh, I helped design it. So it's a project management system designed in part by uh, 
an executive producer for movies, and the other part is an ex-Apple uh, research and development uh, person who... I always say it wrong, so I'm not going to say it publicly, yeah. but he, you've, you've used features he, de he developed the patents for. All right. We want to thank you so much, Ben. You have given us um, more information than we thought we would get, and we totally appreciate this. You have helped out more people than you'll know, I'm sure, who listen to this <laughs> podcast. And, of course, uh, if you're listening to the podcast, please reach out to Ben, uh, obviously well-versed in, in what you do. And we thank you for joining us on the podcast today, Ben. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, um, Ben. Well, that's our show for today. What did you think? Hey, you made it to you made it through. That was that was intense, right? I learned a lot of new um, terms like back debt and uh, deferral and and what. Competitive analysis, you know, all the things he dropped. I was I'm, like, I'm gonna have to go uh, back and listen. I didn't catch that. Didn't you write notes? I wrote notes during oh. the interview. Oh man, how many pages? I got a, I, I got a, well, it's it's one page mixed in on like another page of notes, but I didn't realize I was gonna need so much, <laughs> uh, so much oh, room. Man. Well, that that probably that's probably enough, wouldn't you say, yes. for a show? Okay, so. Yeah. So be sure to join us next time. We'll be talking uh, in an upcoming episode about editing. Get Real Indie Filmmakers is created by Forrest A. Jr., the host of Rolling Tape on YouTube and also audiobook narrator on Audible. Yes. Yep. And Jeffrey Michael Bays, who's the author of Between the Scenes, what every film director, writer and editor should know about scene transitions and suspense with the camera that's and suspense with a camera a filmmaker's guide to hitchcock's techniques bye blondie <laughs> get real indie filmmakers is a production of borgus networks 2019